The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the host and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. is January Jones. She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, The 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm January Jones, and I would like to welcome you to our podcast today. As you can see, I have a new brand. I'm now being called the Glitter Granny. (laughs) We all wear many hats as we go through our days. And today, my hat is my yellow interview hat. After all, it's springtime, and I'm in a yellow mood. (laughs) The nice thing about hats is then you really don't have to fuss too much with your hair. Now for my wonderful listeners, let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost a loved one? Sadly, that's a question most of us can answer. Yes, we have. Tell me, have you ever met someone who has walked the walk and talked the talk in the fields of addiction and grief? Can you imagine what it would be like to actually help people to heal from addiction and from grief? Tell me, do you ever think about writing a book? I guess everyone does it sometime in their life. Now, would you like to meet someone who will share her own experiences healing through writing and through speaking? Let me ask you, have you ever heard of a famous book that's coming out on May 25th this year? It is called Addiction, Steal, Kill, and Destroy, Satan's Agenda to Terminate You, a Spiritual Guide to Overcome Addiction and Loss. If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions then you are in the right place, and I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So now it's time to rest, relax, go get some wine, get some cheese and crackers as you enter the no-wine zone. Now let me tell you a little bit today about my guest. 
She is an Afro-British woman born and raised in Oxford, England. She lives in New Jersey now, and she is a licensed life coach. She holds a master's degree in social science, a bachelor's degree in social science, oh no, a bachelor's degree in community health, and an associate degree in commercial art and advertising. She's also a new author, and her book, as I told you earlier, is called Addiction, Steal, Kill, and Destroy. It's my pleasure today to welcome to the podcast Valerie Galloway. Hello, Gallery. <laughs> Gallery down. <laughs> Hi, January. How are you? Wonderful. It's so nice to have you with us. Um, where are you calling in from? So I'm calling in from New Jersey, Bergen County. That's where I live with my son. Okay, great. Uh, before we do get into the podcast, let me just ask you, how did the pandemic affect uh, your career? How did it affect your writing um, episodes? How did uh, you deal with the pandemic? Well, uh, January, I was working at a major New York City hospital, um, which I'd worked for the past 23 years. I just recently retired. Um, but during that time, it was such a, you know, a, a time where I, I would call it confusion. Um, there were so many people coming to the hospital on a daily basis, looking for loved ones. And the sad part for me was I could see, because we're right next to, um, you know, the morgue. And so, you know, there were many body bags, you know, being you know, transported next door. And so it was so sad to see people come to the hospital with that expectation of their loved ones surviving and knowing, you know, for the most part that they were gone, you know. So I worked with a lot of palliative care patients, um, you know, coaching them through that very devastating time, you know. Um, you know, I, I'm a professional ICF. PCC license uh, certified coach. And so, you know, a lot of the work I've done January uh, uh, during this past 23 years has been more working with the patient population. So, yeah, it was a sad time for me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the part where people couldn't be with their loved ones when they passed uh, was so tragic for so many families. I've had a lot of guests on the show that I've talked to about the pandemic situation. Um, I, I call it the pandemic pause, but as we know, it was much more than a pause. It was a yeah. devastating experience for many people, especially yeah. people who lost loved ones. Uh, the separation, I think the isolation is what was devastating for so many people. Um, yeah. Now, as a transformational coach, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field and how you incorporate it into the work that you're doing. 
Okay. So um, basically, you know, again, like I was saying before, a lot of the work I've done over the past 23 years at this hospital in New York City has been, you know, working under the patient experience department as a coach and a coordinating manager. Um, so, you know, I worked for the Office of Strategic Management, which was one of the, um, what would you call a cabinet? It was a cabinet um, job. Uh, for the hospital. I worked single-handedly for seven years in that specific department. I was with the hospital for 23 years, but that specific department under the patient experience strategic management was seven years. And I ran that department single-handedly for seven years. I created, I devised, I, um, you know, created all the materials for it. And I mostly worked with college students and, um, you know, the inpatients as well as the interdisciplinary treatment team in terms of, you know, accruing uh, ways to, uh, you know, with the therapeutic teams to work with the inpatients and the medical staff. And, and again, it was palliative care patients facilitating bereavement care and services, uh, you know, to name a few. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, I mentioned all the wonderful, amazing degrees that you have. How long did it take for your education and training to become a coach? Oh, so fortunately for me, because I worked and I was given all these progressive responsibilities, you know, demonstrating the ability to set priorities, you know, deliver on deadlines and develop workflow processes um, for patients, the students and staff, the uh, hospital gave me the opportunity to to receive a license from the ICF, which is kind of like the Ivy League of coaching. And so that took me about a year. That was, I want to say, 2018 was when they awarded with me, uh, awarded me that opportunity. Okay. Now, um, I mentioned in the introduction you're Afro-British. Uh, how old were you when you came to this country? <laughs> That's a story in and of itself. So, um, so January, what? happened was, um, so I was born and raised in Oxford, England, and my mother back in the 70s, she used to frequent the NCO club, and uh, that was where she met my, would soon to be my later stepfather at one of these NCO clubs in Upper Hayford, Oxford, England. And so long story short, they got together during his five-year assignment in England at Upper Hayford. He was a sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. Okay. And so upon completion of his assignment after five years, he was resent back to Waco, Texas, which was his hometown. And during that time, he was in the process of uh, retiring, and he unfortunately had emphysema. So he retired, you know, with uh, emphysema and my mother came over, they got married and the rest is history. So I was 16 at the time. Okay. Um, so I completed all my, you know, I went to Leafield Primary School, I went to Lawn up to Middle School and Pierce High School in Oxford. So by the time our green card came through, it took two years, um, I, was, uh, I was already 18, so sh uh, I was 16. So still legally a minor at the time that she filed for our residency here in the U.S. Okay. And uh, so then technically your schooling, your elementary primary schooling was over 
So you didn't go yes. to school here? No, I didn't. I, I completed all my post uh, education, you know, my bachelor's, my master's, associate, and my uh, coaching <laughs> license here. So, so how was it? Tell me, how was it for a teenager to come to the United States? What were your first impressions? <laughs> uh, so this is a story. This is a story, January, I love to tell because, you know, growing up in England, Oxford, England, no less, I used to work at Merton College. Now, most people make the mistake of thinking that Oxford University is one university. No, there's 35 in total, right? And I used to work at Merton, which was built... I I want to say in the 12th century so it had it was beautiful it had cobbled streets and I worked there after school I had a moped um, I would ride to my job and we would serve the dons the dons and it kind of reminds me of you know when you graduate from high school and you have that traditional you know black cap and cape <laughs> so every night after school I would moped to this job it was a very prestigious college and we weren't allowed to talk to the students we just served them their 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 you know their dinner for the night and so growing up in England it was a it was an turns out privilege because it was an experience that I learned so much about who I am as a result and um, you know it, it was just uh, it, it, it was amazing growing up there and coming here what happened was I, I'm not gonna lie I was a bit of a snob because I grew up watching do you remember the shows Dallas Dynasty Falcon Crest so in England I grew up watching all this affluence and I love those shows you know Larry Hagman <laughs> and I just thought I, I thought the whole of America was like that until I landed in Waco, Texas. <laughs> and, and this was way this was way before that whole David Koresh compound, uh, you know, incident. Do you remember that that Waco uh, incident? Okay, so this was way before that. Uh, so now I'm dating myself in terms of my age. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so when I landed at the, it was Dallas Fort Worth Airport, and I'm 18 years old, and it was it reminded me of the old Gary Cooper movies, you know, with the tumbleweed, because I grew up with people walking the streets, buses, transportation, you know, and so landing in Waco, Texas, back in those days, it was a culture shock for me, and so I hated it. I hated it. I didn't see the Falcon Crest, the Dynasty, you know. I didn't see that affluence and I, I hated it and I wanted to go back to England so badly. And, you know, that's another book, but yeah, <laughs> obviously I, I ended up staying. I can understand because we were uh, based in London for one year uh, with my husband's career. And, oh, my gosh, it was just a whole enchanting. I felt like we were in another world. And we did go to Oxford. We had a friend attending uh, school there. And what an atmosphere. What an environment. And I can imagine that Oxford, Waco, what a shock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the good news for my listeners is she's not whining about it. And right now we're going to hear about a book I wrote, Thou Shalt Not Whine, The 11th Commandment. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shalt Not Whine. 
The 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shalt Not Whine, the 11th Commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Wine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Wine at Amazon.com. Also, Thou Shalt Not Wine is now available at audiblebooks.com. We're back with Valerie Galloway, and uh, she is not a whiner because she is a winner. <laughs> Valerie, would you share with our audience your website information and how they can get your book on May 25th? Yeah, so I have several uh, websites, um, Mindset Coach. Uh, um, uh, sorry, I, <laughs> this is a new one. So um, I also have um, uh, Valerie Galloway LifeCoach.com. I'm all over. I'm all over uh, TikTok at Coach Val One. I'm all over Instagram. Coach uh, Val 2023. Um, I'm all over YouTube. And as I said, January, as you well know, I'm with Trinity Broadcast Network uh, mm-hmm. with my new book coming out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm out there in the world right now. Oh, that's wonderful. And everything is on the screen below if you want to copy it down and check out Valerie after the show. Uh, Valerie, let's talk about losing a loved one. Uh, yeah. is in your per- everyone has lost a loved one, I'm pretty sure about that. How, how did it, uh, who did you lose and how did it affect your life? Yeah, so, okay, uh, so January, as you mentioned before, you know, I'm the author of an upcoming book called Addiction, Still Kill and Destroy, John 10, which is, um, you know, Satan's agenda, from my perspective, to terminate you, um, and it's a spiritual guide to overcome addiction and loss, you know, so as of June 22, I contracted with TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network and Publishing, and they published my book, and they're currently in the process of promoting and working on distributing my book globally. And the book came about January because of the experience I had with loss. Um, And so I just happened to send in my manuscript one day when I was watching their show and their show was talking about, you know, if you've had an experience that you want to share with the world, um, you know, send in your manuscript and, and don't call us, we'll call you kind of situation. And lo and behold, they, their executives reached out to me. So my book is based on the untimely death of someone I truly loved and lost. Uh, because of what I believe was due to the satanic circumstances I write about in my book. Um, You know, I write about how our loved one was lured, seduced, and destroyed by Satan's agenda to terminate him specifically. And so the enemy, in my opinion, led Tony to his depression then and sadly his untimely death. 
So my story with him was a complicated one, January. Um, and I don't want to get emotional because it still impacts me to this day, to be honest with you. In, in all honesty, our relationship was a very dysfunctional, codependent, unhealthy, destructive relationship and unity. And, you know, we were both products of the social system as children, you know, and unlike most, unfortunately for us, both of us, it was a negative experience. I was fostered and he was adopted. And we were together for 10 years in total until I walked away from the madness due to his chronic addiction and mm-hmm. his issues. And, and I took with me his seven-year-old son at the time. Mm-hmm. And he, therefore, ultimately gave up all hope, essentially, after losing us both. And mm-hmm. uh, because we were his only primary family unit, and he never knew his biological parents. And to be honest with you, for his birthday one year, I bought him a DNA kit. And it was only then he discovered he was Irish. And after he lost us and his home with us and subsequently his job, he was found dead on the street soon after. And so he succumbed to his long battle, you know, with depression, drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And January, for for the longest time, I blamed myself. Mm -hmm. I tortured myself with remorse for his death because it was one of those, if I didn't walk away, what if, you know? So I condemned myself with tremendous guilt and shape thereafter until I wrote my book. That book released me. Okay. Now, so you wrote, that was a therapeutic um, experience for you. You know, it's interesting. I've written six books myself, and I'll tell you, Mm -hmm. I agree that in Thou Shalt Not Wine, and I also went over painful, painful territory. I lost my first husband when I was 25. Mm -hmm two children and it's very difficult and writing about it and writing about it in a truthful yeah. way is uh difficult but i agree yeah. it is very therapeutic and that would uh, release you hopefully uh pr- from your guilt that you would feel and and that goes yeah. drug and drugs and guilt there's enough guilt for everyone but for the longest time, like I said, I did blame myself. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of shame thereafter until I wrote this book. And why? Because there were many times during our relationship where I had to fight against him, believe it or not. I ultimately took him to court, fighting for full custody of our biracial son, which I won after many failed attempts while witnessing countless unscrupulous things you know, that jeopardized our son in his life, including minor car accidents. Even though I'm telling the judge all this, you know, I, I, it was a fight. I went to court four times to, to win full custody while, uh, you know, all these incidences happened while he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And it mm-hmm. took four attempts in court to gain full custody. Can you believe it? Of our son. And shortly thereafter, he died because mm-hmm. he, he, he lost everything. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the legal system can be very, very difficult, as you said, in, in this kind of yeah. thing. Um, did he have uh, other family or was it just the two of you? So because, you know, when, when we first met, it was one of those things where, you know, we had so much in common and, um, you know, his mother, his his uh, adopted mother and father, they were deceased. 
you know, and he really, honestly, I mean, he has uh, two other children by a previous marriage. But when I met him, you know, they weren't together. And he and I, we instantly clicked. And mm-hmm. it, it just became a union from that day forward until, you know, you see you see all the craziness that goes with, um, you know, uh, addiction issues. And I it just I couldn't do it anymore. January, I gave him so many opportunities to change and, and he just he couldn't. He was he was mm-hmm. already gone. You know, my therapist, I love to say this and, and share with everyone, but my therapist said, you know, you were damaged, you know, because I come from a dark past too. And okay. my therapist said, you know, you were damaged by your experiences, but Tony, however, was broken. And you know, you can't put a broken like if you think of a vase, once you drop that on the floor and it breaks into a million pieces, you can't glue that back together. There's fissures, there's cracks. And mm-hmm. that was him. Yeah. And do you think that uh, damaged and broken people are drawn to each other? Oh, absolutely. On our first date, we shared so many stories. But it was a thing where, you know, when you're with someone and um, we both profess, oh, we've risen above it, you know, we're healed, you know, we're whole. But then as the years rolled by, I started to see that wasn't the case. You know, yeah. he was extremely depressed, you know. And um, unfortunately, sometimes those are situations that it's so difficult, but you have to walk away for and away yeah. from in yeah. order to save yourself and your son. And I know that must have been the most one of the most difficult things you ever will it do. Was. Yeah. It was. Yes. Because, you know, I, I, I have this metaphor in my head, right? I think, of, you know, back in the old days, Potter's Field, you know, those old coffins, those old wooden coffins when you can't afford to bury your loved ones. I always think of like four nails, one in each corner, right? And because he was under tremendous, you know, grief and, and depression, uh, I, I think of myself as one of those nails that sealed his coffin, ultimately, you know? And so, honestly, that's why I, I wrote this book. I needed to free myself from that condemnation. Oh, for sure. What? And it was probably, I know it would be good therapy for you. You know, right yeah. now, For my listeners, I want to remind everyone that it is 60 years since the assassination of John Kennedy. And if you would like to hear who I think killed Kennedy, you have to read my book. Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before, but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? 
It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. Welcome back with our wonderful guest, Valerie Galloway. Valerie, let's talk about how you came up with the title, uh, Steal, Kill, and Destroy, Addiction, Steal, Kill, and Destroy. Tell us a little bit about how you picked that as your title. Oh, sure. So as a Christian, January, I attribute, um, you know, the uncertainty that we all experience in life with worry, with grief, with loss, uh, to the malevolent forces of the satanic spiritual world uh, that we're all forced to live in. You know, so my book speaks directly to the abhorrence I have towards Satan and the masochistic nature of his deviant you know, spiritual nature overall, you know, and um, his malevolent operations he orchestrates in all of our lives. And so my book is all about taking revenge by taking your power and control back over your life overall. And I think sometimes, you know, we all can live in the realm of negativity far too long. And and as a result, uh, we exacerbate, you know, how we perceive our lives, our burdens, uh, simply by overthinking and over preoccupying ourselves with our anguish and grief, you know, when we lose someone. And for me, like trying to discern how I should handle uh, particular situations now that I'm a single mom. And so when we tend to dwell on something that is really bothering us for too long and so intensely, we can get into a state of rumination. Well, I became fixated on payback with my book. <laughs> so yeah, it stems it, it from my own uh, need to release that pain, that anger that from that loss. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you, were you, as a child, were you raised in a, a religious home? Did you have an awareness of uh, Christianity, awareness of Satan? How were you raised? So the interesting thing, January, was, uh, so I grew up on a farm, no less, on the outskirts of Oxford. So in other words, I always knew my biological mother. Uh, she continued to live in Oxford. Uh, first of all, I was born at Churchill Hospital in Oxford. And so at the age of two, she had me foster to a Caucasian family on the outskirts of Oxford because at that time she really couldn't afford to take care of us. She came to England from the West Indies during, you know, the war-torn days when they were trying to rebuild England. And mm -hmm. so back then, you know, uh, so back then Jamaica was a colony um, under the British colonial system. And so that's how she ended up in England. But then when she came to England, she came with child, and uh, my uncle sponsored her. And when he saw that she was pregnant, she ended up in a mother and daughter hostel. That's the basic story. And uh -huh. so at age two, she sent us, uh, me and my uh, two sisters, to live with a, a Caucasian family on mm -hmm. uh, a farm on a farm, but they weren't really religious at all. And, you know, I always say this, this is another story, another book that I'm going to write because <laughs> my experience there was very dark. And, you know, without going into a lot of the specifics, I do talk about it a little bit in my book, but um, 
you know, uh, that was the glue really that bonded Tony and I because we had very similar situations growing up in the system, you know? And so, no, they weren't Christian. I, I became a Christian in my 30s basically and that was due to some of the forces the satanic you know you know some people may not believe this but you know when you um in the bible it talks about when you entertain horoscopes psychics and things of that nature you're opening portals and so i yeah so unknowingly and so these portals ultimately spooked me uh, to where I ended up, um, you know, I was living in Queens at the time in New York City. And Mm -hmm. I asked my doorman, I asked my doorman if he knew of a priest that could do a full on exorcism, which he did because I was experiencing a lot of satanic entities um, Mm -hmm. in my apartment that was really scaring me. So that Mm -hmm. was the onset January of me experiencing satanic uh, forces around me. And so my book really delves into a lot of those experiences. Wow. And so becoming a Christian was the whole impetus for for me freeing myself from the, those uh, demonic forces. Okay, so that would be the antidote to, to Satan. Um, I, that's an interesting experience. I haven't, I've had so many psychics and mystics and spiritualists on the show, and they've been fascinating, but I've never made the connection with the Santanic, uh, spirit connection. And, you know, we see movies about exorcism and that type of thing, never experienced it. So you're the first person on the show to talk about that with me and my listeners. And I'm curious, what sort of things convinced you that Satan was surrounding you? So, um, okay, so I'll, I'll never forget this. <laughs> it was um, shortly after Valentine's. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 20s, 30s, approaching 30s, footloose, fancy free, living life, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I had received a red rose from, a, you know, a love interest at the time. And I'm on the phone talking to this individual and all of a sudden, now, now honestly, I, for me, I was living in an apartment that was haunted. And I kid you not, most people may not believe this, but ultimately what happened was I'm sitting in the apartment, I'm talking to someone on the phone, and this rose went flying across the room. I kid you not. So that was one incident. And the other was, you know, when you read the Bible, you start to see things and understand and comprehend. And and so I said, oh, my goodness, this is scary, amongst all other things that were trans. Uh, transpiring so one mm-hmm. night and never forget this I'm watching um you know because I would turn to the uh religious the Christian channels right mm-hmm. that's yeah. how I got latched onto TBN by the way Trinity Broadcast Network so I'm watching these Christian channels because if you're trying to get away from the darkness you move towards the light and to me that was let me watch you know, some Christian channels, that way the enemy will leave me alone. (laughs) So I'm watching this and I kid you not, the eyes, you know, the whites of the eyes Uh were red, were red with some of these people on these Christian channels. And then I would get all these interference at three o'clock in the morning. I recall calling the cable company and saying, what's going on with the TV? And they said, oh, nothing's happening. It's fine. There's no interference. But yeah, on my end, there was a lot of interference. So this is what led me to reach out to my doorman 
to bring a priest in. And I kid you not, he came to my apartment and he did a full-on exorcism. He sprinkled really? holy water. Yep. He sprinkled, he came in the full liturgical garb that they wear, you know, those robes. Uh-huh. And he did a full, this is at eight o'clock at night on a Friday night. He did a full on exorcism. And you know what's so funny? Do you recall having, you remember the tape recorders that we used to have? Now I'm dating myself again. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I taped the whole thing. After that priest left, do you know that tape got mangled up? Remember that brown long tape in the oh, tape yeah. recorder? Mm-hmm. That thing got mangled up as I taped it. So right there, I could tell there's a lot of demonic forces. You know, and most people aren't even aware of it. I that was destroyed completely. That whole was destroyed on tape. This is fascinating. You're the first person I've <laughs> met or known or talked to or shared that experience. Uh, exorcist. So, uh, like when you want to get an exorcist, you went to your doorman. I mean, do, yeah. you, do you pay him or is it like you hire no. him? Does it work? No, 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 no. As a priest, they do things like that. They help, um, you know, they help you rid, rebuke any kind of negative, you know, demonic entities. You, you know, they, that's what the sprinkle of the holy water is, you know, yeah. when you go to church. So, tell you me know, the is. devil doesn't like any of that stuff. So tell me, when he comes into your apartment, does he sense the uh, evil spirit yes. there? Oh, oh right. yes, 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 yes. Because after he left, and I kid you not, after he left, there was such peace, such calmness in that apartment. And that was really, honestly, what drove me to become a Christian from that point onwards. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't like being spooked. I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't like you know, staying up till three o'clock in the morning, looking all around me because all these, you know, demonic, you know, kind of energies around me. Now, let me ask you a question. Were those energies there before you moved in or did they come with you? So that's what I meant, January, when I referred to, so all this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Um, Mm -hmm. I look at it was I open those doors. Oh, with cool. these types of portals, yeah. And I've read a lot on this ever since. Um, but, you know, again, I'm a Christian. Not everyone believes this, you know. Um, I just happen to, uh, just based on what I read in the Bible. Oh, my gosh. This is fascinating. Right now, we're going to take a break, and we're going to hear about some priceless personalities that have all been on this podcast. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? Someone who has touched your heart and soul. People who have faced difficult problems. People who have struggled to find solutions. People who fearlessly shared their stories. People who have not only informed you, but inspired you. People who have priceless personalities. I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories. And it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, 
cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Attention all listeners, Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones, Volume 2 is now available at Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle editions. You'll be able to meet 10 amazing people who will be sharing their own personal stories with all their struggles, successes, and solutions sprinkled with lots of humor and hope. Priceless Personalities features a teenager who becomes one of the famous Supremes from Motown, a nurse who has a humorist helps people to heal, an inspiring laughter yoga instructor, a mother dealing with the loss of a child, an incredible motivational speaker, a woman who married five times, a gifted paranormal nurse, a wise economist, a funny female humorist, along with an older man sharing his sweet childhood in the deep south. January's guests are all amazing and amusing. You will never forget meeting them. Go to Amazon.com for your own priceless experience. Welcome back, and my Priceless Personality books and all my books are now available at audible.com. We are visiting with another Priceless Personality today, Valerie Galloway. Valerie, um, let's talk about uh, your peace course, uh, Healing Grief, that you uh, have available. Tell us what they, what people will experience if they do your peace, sign up for your peace course. Yeah, so um, you mentioned earlier, January, about the pandemic, right? So I look at it like loss overall, right? With um, the recent times of the pandemic, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't been personally impacted by loss on some level or another, you know. So navigating our experience of emotional pain through loss and the feelings we all have, you know, toward the person or the persons we may have lost at some point, it's a unique experience and it's unique to each of us. And so loss can trigger a multitude of grief responses in relation to to many different types of events we all experience throughout life, right? So, you know, it begs the question, have you ever experienced a loss of a pet, a job, a, a, a miscarriage, a relationship, a divorce? you know, death or, or something of great sentimental value to, to you. All of us have, right? Of course you have. Right. And so the list is endless. So I know we all we all can relate to this and we all have experienced at least one, if not all of these occurrences. And so grief, you know, is a universal experience and people grieve differently, however. So mm-hmm. it's important to know this, you know, when we navigate through our loss with the typical what, um, I don't know if you know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She she coined the five stages of grief. She's um, she's a late Swiss American psychiatrist, and uh, she coined the theory in in uh, 1969, I believe, that there are five stages of grief that mm-hmm. we naturally navigate through, particularly after we've experienced profound loss. 
And so think about it. Have you ever experienced a deep sense of emptiness after the funeral and the burial are all over? Have you ever felt isolated and alone, you know, after all the condolences and the well wishes have faded away? I know I certainly have. And so for me, it was it was all about having a mindset shift. You know, I found that in response, you know, we have to learn to shift our limiting mindsets to envision endless, uplifting possibilities for our lives and believe in our own capabilities. You know, we can find positive ways to overcome our grief. Everything is possible, you know, if we learn how to envision it and learn how to manifest it, you know. So instead of being a circumstance-driven person, I learned how to you know, become more of a vision-driven person. And that's what my peace course speaks to. You know, I decided to take my power back and again, become a vision-driven person. So what do I mean by this? You know, many people live their entire lives governed by their circumstances, you know, their everyday lives. I mean, you know, the tedious results they see right there in front of them on a day-to-day basis, the humdrum routine of their basic everyday daily lives, you know, the monotony of the repetitiveness, you know, the day in, day out living situation. So I was one of them until I decided to step out of my own complacent, you know, mediocrity way of thinking and learn how to think differently, more positively. So, you know, my ultra level of loss, because it wasn't just Tony, it was I lost my dog, I lost my mom, you know, and Mm -hmm. but his was the most shocking death blow of them all because he was the love of my life and because it was so premature and tragic, um, you know, with this excruciating, devastating loss, I created a peace course to help me get over to the other side of my own grief. Okay. And then that uh, led you to sharing it with other people. You know, from my own experience with uh, loss at an early age, such as you are, uh, of course, at my age, everyone's young. So, (laughs) but Every person's grief is unique. Uh, Every person goes through different stages, which you've talked about, five stages, which anyone who has lost, you're all familiar with those. And it's like, you'll be going along, you'll be just fine, everything will be clicking, moving, then bam, it's just like hitting a wall, it'll just overtake you, and it'll be little things, just very minor things that could set it up and set it off. Um, when people do your peace course, uh, is it uh, uh, YouTube or how did they do it on Zoom? What type of course have you created? No, it's basically, it's a, it's a course where you, you know, you sign up and each day there's a, a assignment based uh-huh. around, you know, the five typical, you know, um, steps that she outlines as, as, as a grief process. So yeah, you're basically, yeah, you're basically going through those five grief stages. Okay. And people, if they want to uh, do this, they can find all the information at your website, I'm assuming. Yes. 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 That website, I have a new mindset and empowerment coach uh, website that um, kind of connects all of my, um, you know, uh, media things together. Okay. Wonderful. This has been so interesting. Fascinating, fascinating lady with us today. Uh, here's a question I ask most of my guests before we end. If you could have dinner 
with anyone, living or dead, besides me, who would you invite to dinner? <laughs> and there's a long pause. <laughs> I'm getting... Can you hear me? <laughs> oh, for me? Were you asking me specifically? Yes. Who would you invite to oh. dinner your dead? Oh, so... Um... <laughs> You know, with the the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model, well, she's deceased now, but through her, she was very instrumental January in me understanding the process of grief, uh, the five stages, which, you know, postulates a series of emotions experienced by terminally ill patients prior to death or people who've lost, you know, loved ones, wherein the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So, you know, just I've, I've really leaned into a lot of thought leaders in, in my own self-development after this loss. And so this is, we're talking Bob Proctor, we're talking Mary Morrissey. I don't know if you know these folks. Um, they're all about the mindset. Um, Tony Robbins. Yeah, I, I've really learned a lot from all of these thought leaders. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continual process of growth and development. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my dear listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our time together today. We tried to be informative and inspiring. My upcoming guests will all be eclectic, exciting, and energizing, just like Valerie was today. Live next Tuesday at 2 p.m., I'm looking forward to welcoming Dr. Karen Gail Lewis, who has been on our podcast before. She's the author of Sibling Rivalry for Therapists. <laughs> now my 80-year-old thought for today. You know you're getting old when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> so there you go. Signing off from the Glitter Granny. Thank you for entering the Nobel Zone. <laughs> And please share our stories and our show with everyone you know. Remember, stop whining and then start smiling. And if that doesn't work, then you can just start eating chocolate. Lots and lots of chocolate. Thank you, Valerie. And I hope you come back again to my list. I would love to. Wonderful. I would love to. Okay. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been great. Especially the exorcism part (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's another book by the way that's another book <laughs> oh, i get to work on that one right away <laughs> okay to my listeners take care and stay safe until we meet again bye everyone we want to thank you for listening to january jones sharing success stories always remember Ms. jones personal mantra if you can think it you can do it That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.